This is Sexy Funny Raw, where we chat all about the world of sex, from dating and relationships all the way to the adult industry itself. I'm Sylvia Sage, and this is my Pornspective, answering all the questions you weren't even brave enough to ask Google. Get ready, because Sexy Funny Raw starts now. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Sexy Funny Raw. I am your host, Sylvia Sage, and I am joined yet again by the ever-so-impressive Dr. Eddie. He's here to give us some of the best medical advice we've ever received. I have been blowing you up with um, my best medical advice for the past six years, and now I finally have somebody in here who can tell me I'm wrong. And so, (laughs) without further ado, welcome my co-host, Dr. Eddie, again, back to the show, And today, you guys, we are talking STIs. Now, I've obviously addressed STIs several times on this show. I think it's so important that we have full knowledge of this and that we're talking about it in an open platform and that we're not shaming it. I always refer to STIs as a cold for my vagina. Because for me, in the porn world, all is ever meant is that I get a week off, um, which is kind of nice um, when you're working nonstop to have to take a forced break. Um, So I don't think anything of STIs. Um, I think we need to be aware and we all need to be testing. And so we're not passing things off to other partners. And we are kind of slowing the roll because one of the things I've also learned um, today from Dr. Eddie is that all of these STIs are on the rise Um, from um, gonorrhea to syphilis to chlamydia, all on the rise, mainly because we're just not having the conversations that we need to be having, or we think we're protected in a way and we absolutely are not. So let's dive right in. So health literacy is a degree to which individuals have the capacity to obtain, process, and understand basic health information needed to make inappropriate health decisions. And we want you to know that there are some obviously groups that are more affected than others. And I didn't realize this, that young people age 15 to 24 are the most susceptible to STIs, as well as pregnant women and racial and ethnic, um, oh my gosh, ethnic (laughs) minorities. Now, is this because of anything specific to um, the younger age or the different ethnicities that have something that mainly, I guess, Really what we're looking at is white males, white cis males are just not as affected as the rest of us. Is that kind of what's happening? Not exactly. Okay. So this is more of a public health perspective as opposed to a medical perspective. And so there's a little bit of a difference in how we approach uh, STIs generally. Mm -hmm. Uh, In public health, we're often looking at populations. Yeah. uh, And so we're trying to see what's happening across a community. Got it. Say, for example. So why is it that it it seems like to me, when I'm looking at the statistics here, it looks like to me that white cis males are more out of line of getting affected by these diseases if it's more young people and racial um, minorities minorities who are getting this and even pregnant women, which is shocking to me because I don't assume pregnant women are having sex into their pregnancy. But um, Uh, with their partners, maybe? But uh, yes, of course. In and out of, well, it, it right, is well, going in and so out. So that's a yes. multi-pronged question. So okay. First, um, 
I'll probably approach the the question of are people more susceptible based on ethnic or racial variants? Yeah. And so no, but there are cultural and social cultural things that impact a lot of the reasons that some people are more susceptible. Lack of education. Uh, education is certainly one uh, sometimes, but also power dynamics and relationships. Not every relationship is one where you can tell your partner to put on a condom. Interesting. And so that power dynamic is actually a really important component and mm. that uh, really cuts across a variety of different demographics. It's not just white African American. It's not any one specific minority or mm. demographic, uh, but those power dynamics really do impact how people approach sexual behavior. For example, um, if you're in a relationship for a year and all of a sudden your part you want your partner to start wearing a condom, mm. that's a difficult conversation. Of course, for some, yeah. Right? And so those power dynamics, you might not even have the opportunity to have that conversation. Okay, right? you might not even be able to bring it up. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of fluctuates depending on the demographic that we're talking about. See, I was just thinking maybe because they don't have access to medicine in the same way that people, you know, a white cis male or whatever has his amazing health insurance and maybe some of the um, less privileged communities don't have that access to regular health care facilities. I mean, that's a that's a difficult one. I certainly okay. don't want to like brush anything with a broad stroke. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so there are certainly different communities that have different levels of access to care. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's absolutely a reality in public health. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to have access to an, the same type of uh, medical care, mm-hmm. testing, uh, education, et cetera. So all of those things are going to play a role for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's nothing biological between in amongst them that's actually creating more susceptibility okay except when you talk about age uh and so for young women you are in fact more susceptible when you're younger Mm -hmm. um because of the the like the membranes towards the cervix um they actually thicken over age so it's actually a little bit different for a 16 year old young woman or young lady uh, Mm -hmm. versus a 36 year old woman, right? So the susceptibility does change there. How much? I think that's probably up for debate and in question. So in saying that, because you said younger women are more susceptible than than an older woman, is that kind of um, like our bodies are just changing towards menopause each time and and hardening and thickening of our cervix? Is that there's a there's a changing of the and thickening of the skin in mm. that area from mucose, so there's more protective kind of elements mm. over time. Right. Uh, but that's really where the the change, that's really all there is. Okay. Uh, so susceptibility is just higher because there's less protection for the mucose kind of membrane in that area. Is it be uh, sorry? <laughs> Are they also because of that more susceptible susceptible to pregnancies and that type of thing as well as opposed to an older woman or does no. not. That doesn't. Not the same. Not the same. Okay. So the pregnancy is basically her ovaries and her eggs and those types of things, but it won't make a difference for the STI infection rate. Right. Interesting. Okay. See, guys, I'm learning. I love learning along the way. Uh, Okay. So we want to get down to the obviously different types of STIs. Um, And we obviously know the basics of gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, hepatitis B, hepatitis C. And I want to know which of these cases, because I know in my field, gonorrhea is 
pretty regular. And and you do have it called the the com you called it the common something or whatever. Uh, what did we see? Um, we were talking about syphilis, I think. Oh no no no! But here you have on the drips you have um, oh, yeah. gonorrhea being the most common. But when I was looking at the statistics that you provided, it looks like the number of chlamydia was actually higher than the number of gonorrhea cases, at least in that study, in that 2019 study is where we were pulling that from, but still calling gonorrhea the most common. So it depends when we're specifically talking about and in specific regions. Mm -hmm. So it actually changes. Okay. So when I, back when I was a grad student, um, a lot of my work was focused on syphilis, and mm -hmm. there's lots of reasons why I got into the study of syphilis, but uh, there was always a, kind of a shifting number one state Oh. So each state kind of changes, which is number one in gonorrhea, which wow. is number one in chlamydia. So that's kind of been ongoing for a long time. Interesting. Uh, in California, as a matter of fact, has been. Are we number one? Not right now, oh. but we have been in the past. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's a population number, no? Is that just not a population? It's all based on per 100,000 oh, typically. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> not really. We're doing a lot of fucking in California. What can we say? We're doing a lot. It's a lot of pretty people. You want to fuck them all. So, you know, some of them are going to have gonorrhea. That's just the case of it. There's certainly different regions that are that have higher case loads. Interesting. And you mentioned also that there is now a like super gonorrhea, right? There is uh, antibiotic resistant gonorrhea. Right. That's, it's often been kind of referred to as super gonorrhea or mm -hmm. a super bug. Uh, and so that just means that a lot of the uh, antibiotics that we ha that we use typically to fight gonorrhea are no longer working. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of part of a bigger conversation about antibiotic resistance. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, antibiotics are often in our food. Mm -hmm. They're in uh, our environment. There's a lot of places where antibiotics are prevalent. And then you also have people that aren't finishing their prescriptions. Yes. Or, take all of the pills. Or, if it's a week of pills, you take the week of pills. Or taking it when they don't need it, which also creates oh. resistance strains. Absolutely. And so. Interesting. Now, why would you take the medicine if you didn't need it? it just in case. Oh. Uh, there's actually instances uh, over COVID where they were saying take antibiotics because it would prevent other infections from potentially happening, which actually creates its own problems. Right. Mm. So antibiotic resistance is certainly a, a bigger conversation than we can have here, mm. but it's certainly a really important one because we're running out of antibiotics that fight things. And so that's gonna change how we, like how surgeons can do surgery. Like it mm. changed the world, antibiotics. Wow. And so eventually we're gonna run out and okay. then it's gonna be a post-antibiotic world. And that's very, very scary. That is terrifying. In actually. medicine and certainly in public health too, right? Because yeah. in public health, I'm, we're thinking of populations yeah. at a glance versus the biology of one person, which is typically how a physician approaches it, right? Wow. Yeah. So also, I do want to ask the question, so a lot of these are very treatable. Uh, gonorrhea is very treatable until we run out of it, of the treatment, obviously. Sure. Um, chlamydia, very treatable. Like I said, both of these are just a week off of work for me. But um, I also want to talk about syphilis because I have mentioned before in podcasts that syphilis kind of puts you on like a lifelong list. And in, as far as what I had known from just my um, knowledge of being around people who had contracted syphilis is I was told you were almost put on like a like lifetime watch list that this will live in your system. You will always test positive for it. But you say that's just not the case. It's not. Um, it's 
Syphilis and other STIs are all notifiable diseases, so mm -hmm. your physician has to report them to the public health department. CDC. Right. Well, mm -hmm. the public health department. Not then, the same. No, and then okay. the health, the public health department, like we have one here in Los Angeles, right? Okay. And so every community has their own, uh, and then they get reported. Eventually, everything goes to CDC. Got it. Okay. CDC kind of puts everything together. Okay. Um, and so what ends up happening, and depending on when you tested positive, for syphilis, oftentimes mm -hmm. uh, what they used to do, for sure, is try and track down all of your contacts. Got it. Right, and try and get a hold of everybody that could potentially have been exposed. Mm. And so it's those exposures that people want to track mm -hmm. that makes people very uncomfortable. Right. Um, but it's a really important kind of strategy in public health to try mm -hmm. and treat everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, we were talking about earlier how it's different here in California yes. where they can treat your partner. Yes. Uh, but that's not consistent across the country. Mm. Uh, and so here in California, uh, a physician can treat you and give you medication for your partner. Yes. Um, but that's absolutely not the case everywhere. Yeah, and that's so interesting. It's a pretty progressive and innovative kind of approach to medicine. Yeah, because yeah. anytime I've contracted anything, my doctor has always been like, do you want me to give you medicine for your partner? And I, of course, don't have a, a regular partner. Um, so I just make a lot of phone calls. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I love that that's an option. I didn't know that that didn't exist for everyone. I feel like in California, we are kind of um, on the leading edge of all things medicine. No? Yes? Uh, I mean, yes. Yeah. California and New York are, are, yeah. are, are pretty uh, ahead of, uh, that's a contentious kind of way to <laughs> structure that. But uh, uh, California and New York do usually... Uh, We're the bell curve. Pull ahead. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, everything kind of radiates out. Yeah. There's a lot of really incredible work being done everywhere mm -hmm. across the country. Uh, but often those kind of progressive policies and those types of studies, uh, they have happened. So the study that uh, was occurring that allowed uh, for us to be able to treat, or for physicians rather, to be able to treat uh, partners was actually out of California. Uh, and so there are a lot of studies on both coasts that are kind of in that direction. Right, and now just to come back to the syphilis thing really quickly because we obviously said that it, it is treatable. Penicillin is the treatment for syphilis, but you will still test. It will still show up on a test of a positive syphilis, even if it has been treated and gone out of your system. So that's uh, like a slightly complicated question, okay. only because um, once you have had it, you do show that you have been exposed to it. Mm. So it will always be a positive exposure. Mm. Uh, that doesn't mean that you have it where you can pass it on to somebody else, mm. though. It just means that you've been exposed to it. Got it. And so that's a, a nuance, and a lot of people don't like nuance mm -hmm. when it comes to these things. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants black and white. Yeah. And a lot of these things aren't quite so black and white. What your physician, and your physician can inform you much better than I uh, from a public health perspective, but your physician is actually looking at if there's been a change from what you were pre, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so let's say you've been treated, you don't have it, but you still have show an exposure. Afterwards, has something changed, mm -hmm. right? So if something has changed, at that point, they would want to know if you actually have it or not, right? It's going to really depend on what that change looks like. So that's kind of the same for the HIV virus as well, correct or no? No. Um, HIV is more complex. Uh, and so if you're positive, you're always positive. Okay. However, 
um, undetectable is a, a very different category. Right. And right? then you can't pass it on. And, Correct. Yes. So undetectable and you're on intravetrovirals, mm -hmm. you can't pass it on, mm -hmm. uh, but you still have it. So you have to take that medication, whether it's daily, mm -hmm. et cetera. Uh, now they have uh, a shot that you can take every eight weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you don't have to take a medication every day. You get the shot every eight weeks. And so that's oh. very, very new. Yeah. Absolutely. I hadn't heard that. It's, yeah. That's rolling out. And so as, when speaking of HIV, obviously we have to talk about PrEP. PrEP is obviously a medication that you can take to prevent you from catching the HIV virus. And it is greatly, um, it works fabulously, right? It's a pretty, at this point, substantial way to not catch HIV. We'll stop you from catching no other STDs, but we'll stop you from catching the HIV virus. But in saying that, it is not completely... Um, sound for everyone. I know that myself as a female, I was on PrEP for quite some time. And when you're on PrEP, they constantly, every three months, they will check all of your um, levels. And, kidney function. Yes. Right. And, and my, my specifically, I was having some problems with my kidneys. It was stressing my kidneys out. And so I had to stop taking the medication. Um, but I was also kind of told that it isn't really geared towards women at this point, mainly because they didn't have enough women in a study taking it to kind of know the effects of women versus men? Absolutely. Uh, and so a lot of the work had been done in men that have sex with men. Mm -hmm. uh, and so even now, there's very little work done in the trans community, mm. right? And so it, there are some challenges there. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, a, it's an excellent tool in like an arsenal if we're trying to take advantage of a bunch of different tools. It's mm -hmm. really just a tool. It's not a one pill saves everything. Right, right. And so that is where I think we get into some problems mm. where uh, some some might potentially take it, stop using condoms, and then that's why we also have- An uptick in all the others. And all the other STIs. <laughs> yes. And so it does create its own kind of problem, but if used responsibly with a co like a cohesive or a consistent mm -hmm. kind of plan, it's incredibly, effective mm -hmm. uh, and so you know that and condoms absolutely mm -hmm. how often do people wear condoms it's actually pretty low mm -hmm. right and mm -hmm. so implying that people are going to use condoms mm -hmm. uh, gets us into trouble yeah. and so it, what it does is it creates an environment where younger and younger people are getting STIs and mm -hmm. HIV some of the new rates for HIV is like reducing the age curve so mm -hmm. younger and younger people are actually getting HIV wow. because of education, abstinence wow. only. It's kind of like an approach to, you know, sex that, uh, that really just doesn't work. No, right? of course not. And so yeah. it becomes problematic when that's all there is. Yeah. Uh, and so it's not exactly the same in other countries. And mm -hmm. so the U.S. isn't really leading the way when it comes to a lot of those types of things. And let's talk condoms really quick, because um, as we mentioned, you and I were talking before the show. Um, Condoms obviously will stop certain things, but I had sex with a ER doctor, and had he not been an ER doctor, I don't think we would have um, found out what we found out. But I had contracted gonorrhea, and I knew this because of my every two week testing, so I'm pretty on top of anything happening in my body. So I had called him and said, Hey, I happen to test positive for gonorrhea. You should test yourself. And because he was an ER doctor, he test himself right then and there. And he did, um, blood test, which is how I'm tested for it. I'm tested by blood and urine every two weeks. Um, so he tested blood, did not test positive for gonorrhea in his blood. However, he did test positive for gonorrhea 
in his throat because we used a condom, but he also ate me out. So condoms, in retrospect, can protect you from some things. But if you're doing oral sex to that same person, you're still going to be contracting whatever disease they have, right? It depends on the disease. It but, does. But okay. Yes, okay. Uh, absolutely. And okay. so that's a frequent misconception. Yeah. And so, but that most of the doctors that are dealing with sexual health are probably going to test your Both. throat as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's not always the case. No. And then if you're going to a regular physician that maybe not has doesn't have a ton of experience in that area, because that's a different test, right? Mm -hmm. Testing for your throat's something completely different. Yeah. Uh, and so, but and it, it's a swab it of is your a throat. Swab. Yeah. yeah. And it's incredibly common mm. um, but that brings like that's a different conversation about oral sex being sex mm. uh, and you know the implications that it's not are somewhat strange because if you can if you can get an STI yeah then you can mm. you know then it's definitely sex yeah um, but not everybody's comfortable with calling it sex right. not everybody thinks of it that way which is what leads into problems like gonorrhea of the throat and now in retrospect could you have gonorrhea of the throat give a blow job and give them gonorrhea on their penis is yes. that yes wow okay see just learned that lesson also okay good good to know okay uh so uh, test your throats because even in in porn we don't do throat swabs the only throat swabs we do were for covid or if you're specifically asking to get your throat swab for something we don't do that either so um, yeah, I would say now, from now on, on your STI testing, you should probably test the throat as well. So, interesting. Okay. Um, so, when it comes to the herpes virus, so many people have so many misconceptions about the herpes virus. Um, the fact that it will, can some people have herpes um, type A, some type, people have herpes type B and type C. Um, so break it down for us. And my one question is, will everyone who gets herpes, anyone who will have the virus, are they necessarily going to get um an outbreak. Source. Yes. Thank you. An outbreak. So that really depends on the individual biology mm -hmm. of the person. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are drugs that you can take to suppress, and they actually work really well to suppress those kinds of outbreaks. Um, herpes is uniquely problematic in that it creates a variety of additional problems for vertical transmission if you're pregnant mm -hmm. uh, and those kinds of things. Is herpes the only virus you can pass in in childbirth? Oh, no. Uh, historically, HIV was as well. Mm. Uh, they've done some really great work to to almost cut that down to like 99% is not now. So wow. a pregnant woman with HIV won't pass it on to the baby right. if they're uh, in treatment. Right. Uh, but those are recent, well, relatively recent right. developments um, before um, you were certainly, people were certainly passing it along. And of course, this is only in the perspective of the U.S. or industrialized nations, right? Mm -hmm. And so... In industrialized nations, there's uh, theoretically more access to care, different medicine. There are entire regions of the planet, however, that don't have those things. So babies are being born, mm. in fact, because they don't even have access to those drugs. Mm -hmm. And HPV as well? Is that past? Is so HPV is complicated. Okay. Uh, <laughs> indeed. So there's, there's different ones that 
can be passed along at different stages. Okay. So it really depends if the baby's going through the canal, mm. if that's the case, or, you know, for herpes, they would, uh, and of course, speak with your gynecologist in this area, but they would probably suggest uh, a cesarean, mm -hmm. uh, which is a different, it's a whole conversation about cesarean sections. But that's interesting that you say that because doesn't herpes live in the bloodstream? Well, and so how the chances of passing it down with medications to suppress okay. things. Okay. Right? So there's a couple of different layers okay. that need to happen as well. Got it. Uh, and so like most of the things that we're discussing today, mm -hmm. they're all a little bit more complicated mm -hmm. and not everything okay. is black and white. Because there is medication that you can take on a regular basis. We've, I've confessed on this show several times, I, I have herpes and I take a daily medication um, of Zovirax and I haven't had an outbreak since I've been taking my daily medication. Um, and as far as I know, now correct me if I'm wrong, I am not passing it off to other people because of my medication, correct? And so that's where it's gonna depend on a couple of different variables. Let's go, let's talk about the variables. And so, it's certainly still possible because the, a lot of the medications are su to suppress outbreaks, but it's still in your body. If I had an outbreak, I could pass it for sure. For sure. For sure, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. And so other than that, the chances still exist. Absolutely. They do. They do. Okay. Uh, so you're suppressing an outbreak, which is kind of like the little sores or ulcers mm -hmm. that occur. Mm -hmm. And so those for sure pass it. Mm -hmm. But if those sores are occurring and you don't see them, if the suppression isn't 100% suppression and just suppressing like large outbreaks or reducing the frequency of mm -hmm. those outbreaks, then it's certainly possible as well. Now, uh, because we say this, uh, I have done a lot of topics on herpes, especially because I don't like it to have such a negative connotation into the world because I feel like so so much of our population suffers from, not suffers, I don't suffer from having herpes. I think so much of the population uh, has the virus in their body and a lot of people won't even know that they have the virus in their body because, uh, now correct me if I'm wrong on this as well, but you can be tested for it and it won't show up on test if you have such a low amount in your system. Is that correct? And so that's also a little bit more complicated. Okay. Only because, uh, <laughs> only because there are a lot of people that don't know that they have it mm -hmm. and can pass it on and mm -hmm. have never had an outbreak a of any A sign or a symptom. Absolutely. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there are lots of people that are asymptomatic mm -hmm. and don't have anything, don't know it mm -hmm. until they have sex with a partner. Mm -hmm. That partner then gets it. Has an outbreak. And then it gets an outbreak mm -hmm. and now feels like there's a variety of social cultural of course. issues involved yeah. there, right? And so can it that occur? Of course. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, and so since there are people that don't have any symptoms, mm -hmm. it's kind of going around. So you can, yeah. but you can be tested for it. Yeah. Uh, and the depending on where you are in the process, mm -hmm. right, where it is in the process. So if it just happened, mm -hmm. it's possible that you will test negative. But mm. at some point, you will test positive. Got it. And so that's wherever. But it's not a common kind of test. It's mm -hmm. not a frequent test. No, it's, it's not. It's, it's not, not on, on a regular STD panel. It's not on a panel, right? No. That's what people don't understand. They're like, oh, well, I've had STD tests. And I'm like, well, you have to specifically ask for herpes. It's not a test that you will get on a walking into an STD, uh, doing any STI panel, even when I just recently went to my gynecologist because I'm having um, issues in my uterus. Um, they did a full STI panel and it wasn't on my STI panel. So HPV is also not on the panel oh, as well. Oh, so, interesting. Uh, typically, right? Yeah. And so that depends and the frequency of something like HPV is very, very high. Mm -hmm. And so that has its own potential kind of 
negative outcomes. Yeah. Um, but the percentage of people that have HPV is very high. So mm -hmm. human papillomavirus is almost ubiquitous. Yeah. Uh, but um, now there are vaccines and stuff like that, which create its own kind of contentious conversations mm -hmm. because the vaccine has to happen at a very young age. Yes. And so people don't even want to think about vaccinating a child mm -hmm. for a sexually transmitted infection. Uh, because but you could save them from cancer later on in their life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, to close this out, I just want to say to people or ask you in general, Dr. Eddie, is there anything we can absolutely do to prevent passing these on other than abstinence? There are, I mean, no. Exactly. But... <laughs> I just wanted you to say that. Say it, say it right now. That's what I wanted you to say. So testing. Testing, safer, uh, safer sex practices, right. things like PrEP. These are all tools, uh, and there's no one tool that's going to solve mm -hmm. all of these things. Mm -hmm. So is there something that we can do to prevent them other than abstinence? No, of course not. Okay. However, there are tools that we can use to significantly reduce it right. uh, and to reduce the suffering and mm -hmm. the spread right. that sometimes uh, are involved, whether it's not directly suffering because you have it, it's suffering in the relationship because of it. Or in society as general, which is crazy to me, which is why I want to make it such a topical thing is because I don't want the shame to come with it. I don't want people to feel like if they got gonorrhea or chlamydia or syphilis or whatever, HIV, I don't want you to feel like you are a dirty human. I don't want you to feel like you are now being thrown to the wayside. There are things that you can do that can make you live a happy, healthy life, even with these things there are medicines that can you know correct you and put you in the right path and be still live a very happy healthy active life and have a very happy healthy sex life in in the interim so um with saying that um dr eddie unless you have anything else to add i think we'll we'll wrap up this sti i mean the only thing i would probably conclude with that yeah. would be a uh, happy sexy or happy sex life yeah. is really an important component of health yeah right so sexual health is as as important mm -hmm. as our mental health and yes. our physical health yeah right and so all of these things we as a nation perhaps uh, we often prioritize one above the other yeah historically it was physical health over mental health mm -hmm. recently we've made some great strides in including mental health but sexual health is is still far behind yeah in in all of these as a main focus for all of us and we are all of these things. There is no one person that is just one. Yeah. Right. And so keeping that in mind, you know, our, our self-care routine has to include all of these different kind of thoughts about the world that we live in. Yeah. And it's one of the things I really love about public health is mm -hmm. we're kind of trying to deal with the world as it is, not the way we would like it to be. Right. As some conversations that are kind of ongoing, kind of situated like mm -hmm. people shouldn't be having sex well that's absurd people are having sex whether we do to make it as safe as possible exactly. for everyone to enjoy it as much as possible yeah so. and i think testing is such a big number one for me i wish more people would test on a regular basis i'll meet men who i say you know i i need you to get tested before we have sex and they're like oh i have a test and i'm like can i see it and they're it's from six months ago and they still think it's relevant in any way shape or form and it's absolutely not so um regular testing people just uh, make it a part of your um, programming so um, that's it for this episode of STIs I have learned so so much and I hope you all have as well and stay safe and until next time guys adios